I have to be honest with you guys, uh, today's passage and sermon um, is a pretty strange fit for Mother's Day. Uh, if you were to pick like top 10 passages for Mother's Day, uh, this would not come anywhere near the list. Um, just because, yeah, today we're, we're looking at Jesus being arrested. So nothing says Happy Mother's Day like Jesus being arrested, right? Um, and so, uh, but as we work through this, I, I think we will see in the end there are some great applications uh, for moms out of this passage. So, so hang in there with me. Um, but yeah, if you came for, uh, you know, top 10 feel-good Mother's Day passages, uh, I'm sure you can find that online later. So, um, but yeah, today we're in John chapter 18. And so I'm going to start in verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers, and some officers from the chief priest and the Pharisees went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. And then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them, and when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you have given me, I've not lost one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the, the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. All right. So, like I said, happy Mother's Day. <laughs> but here we are looking at this passage in John 18, and we see Jesus willingly walking into his arrest. John really paints this picture more so uh, than the other three Gospels. Um, of Jesus' just willingness to accept what's coming, right? There's, there's parts of the story that he doesn't include that the others do, um, which this tells me that this is a true account. Why? Because they weren't fabricating their stories and matching their details and making sure they got everything just right to get their, their story straight, right? No, John's just writing this as a guy who saw it, and he's writing what he remembers, and he's writing this down, and he's sharing this with us, and so he's telling us about the experience. So there's some things that he doesn't include here. He doesn't include Judas's kiss for the betrayal. He doesn't include um, some, of, some of those kind of things. Um, but what he does include is something that we really want to look at. 
Um, so let's go back and kind of see the overall theme I see in this passage is this, is that Jesus willingly walked through darkness and gloom for us. He willingly walked through darkness and gloom for us. Now, right there in the first verse, there's a, a name there the, that he, and, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron. Now, I don't know how many of you know what Kidron means. I didn't until I was studying for this sermon. Um, but Kidron literally means um, darkness and gloom. And so Jesus, as he is, he's going out um, from where they, they had the, the Last Supper, from where they had the, Lord, the first Lord's Supper, um, he went out and he, has to, he crosses through this, this gully um, to head over towards the Mount of Olives is where they end up. But the route to get there was through this place called the Brook Kidron. Um, Kidron meaning darkness and gloom. Uh, the Brook Kidron comes up one other place in Scripture that we see it. Um, it's actually in David's life. In, in David's life, uh, we see in the story with Absalom, so if you remember the story with Absalom, Absalom was one of his sons, and he decided, hey, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to overthrow my dad, kick him out from being the king, so I can be the king. I'm going to take his place. And so he leads a whole insurrection, and David, being David not wanting to fight his own son, um, takes those who are loyal to him, and they flee. And as they're fleeing, the route that they take is through the brook Kidron. And so back in the Old Testament with David as the precursor for Jesus, we even see David in kind of the low point of his life, in the darkness and in the depth. He's walking these same steps that years later, Jesus, who is the one who fulfills all of the promises to David, is walking those same steps. And, and with that, there's, there, you know, there's a lot of correlations that could, could be made, but I mean, you know, what was Absalom's demise? His hair got stuck in a tree and he was hanging there, and right? So he hung himself. What was Judas's demise? He hung himself. Um, so there, there's a lot of connections there. Uh, but regardless, what we see here, even in the name of the place where Jesus is walking through, is that Jesus is willingly walking through um, darkness and gloom for us. And so... Um, as, as he does this, this is what John, John's memory of the account, is what, this is what stands out to him. Okay, so what, what happened when the, when the soldiers showed up, as John records it? Jesus just walks out to them. Hey, hey guys, who are you looking for? Right? He, he knows what's about to happen. He, John says he knows everything that's about to happen. And let's, let's just read through that part again. I'll pick up in verse 2. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place where Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So here we have this, this beautiful picture of Jesus. And all of these armed fighters are coming out to arrest him. 
Now, by the words that are used to describe, like, the group of soldiers and that kind of thing, like, it's, a lot of scholars think that it's probably at least a portion of what was called a cohort. So a cohort would have been 600 to 1,000 Roman soldiers, like their, their foot soldiers. So these would be guys kind of in peak physical condition, um, ready for, for battle. Um, you have to assume that they've been told that their assignment is to go out here and arrest a guy who is leading an insurrection against Rome. Um, so they're coming out armed. They've got weapons. They've got uh, their torches. They've, they've got everything they need to subdue this guy. Along with them, uh, there's the temple guard, which would be the equivalent to like a police force. Okay. Um, so a very conservative estimate is that there's 200 to 300 guys coming out armed to arrest Jesus. Okay, And Jesus' approach is, he walks up and says, hey, who are you looking for? That's me. But another thing that, that's interesting to note here is the fact that they all fell down when he said, I am he. And I think that's something that we lose a little bit of in our English translations. Um, because in the, in the original, and what he, he literally said is... He, the, the word he is something that we, we add in in the English based off of the verb tense. It's, it's a fine translation. It's fine for us to do. But if you take off that word he, what are you left with? I am. And so you have this moment where Jesus is standing there surrounded by hundreds coming to arrest him. The strongest warriors, the best that could be found to come and subdue this guy with all of their weapons... And Jesus, with the power of his voice, just says his name. He says, I am. And they're flattened. They're knocked down. And so if you think, oh man, these guys, they really pulled one over on Jesus and they subdued him. (laughs) He just had to say his name. And they're knocked to the ground. I mean, think about that. That's, that's a pretty amazing thing. And that tells us that, yes, Jesus was willingly doing this. He's willingly walking into this for us. The fact that hundreds are coming, he's there with, with what, his 11? So there's 12. So 12 on a couple hundred, those are great odds, right? But he does have the power. And just by saying his name, he can knock them down. And so... This is a big deal. They all fall down. But there is power just in his name. And so what does he say then? He goes on in in verse 7. So they all fell down on the ground. In verse 7, so he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Now, so he's done this twice. This is important. They said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that is spoken. Of those whom he gave me, I have not lost one. And so Jesus here, twice, he clarifies with them, who are you looking for? He has them clarify that they are looking for Jesus Nazareth. And by doing that, what he's doing is he's setting the the tone to be able to say, okay, these guys, let them go. 
So even as he is willingly walking in to being arrested and knowing that his ultimate death is coming at the end of this, while he's doing that, he's protecting his disciples. He's protecting those who are his. And, and he's saying, let them go. And, uh, and so Jesus, this is a point here, Jesus always protects those who are his. So be encouraged by that. Be, just know that it's true, that Jesus protects those who are his. And so, so as they walk into his arrest, Jesus is, is already looking out for his disciples and making sure that they are not wrapped up with him. Because think about it. You got a, hundreds of Roman troops sent to go arrest a guy that's leading an insurrection. What well, would make sense? Round up everybody with him. Bring them all in. But Jesus protects them and he makes sure that they are not arrested along with him. And so, I love Peter. Peter being Peter. You you got the scene so far, right? Jesus has knocked him down with his voice. And then he's, he's continuing to say, here I am, come arrest me. And so Peter's natural response is this. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Okay, let's do the math. Twelve on a couple of hundred. Trained fighters. At best, fishermen. Peter has a sword. Think about this. Okay, so, so Malchus is here facing Peter, most likely. Peter has a sword. Assumingly, he's right-handed. Let's guess. He goes to strike Malchus, and somehow he hits Malchus's right ear. All right? So you're going for a, probably a, a fighting death blow, right? You're trying to fight your way out of this thing. So you're going for his head. You somehow hit his ear on the other side of his head. That, that is how good of a sword fighter Peter is. And he's ready to take on 200 of them. He's like, I got this, Jesus. You just get behind me, man. And Jesus is like, Peter, put that thing away. Cut it out. What are you doing? But Jesus' point is what he makes to Peter is that, shall I not drink of the cup that the Father has given me? He's saying, this is God's plan for me. This is what the Father has willed. And so, yes, this is what I'm going to walk into, Peter. And what we see Jesus doing here is that even in this moment, I mean, when we read the other, the, the account of the other disciple, like the other gospels, and just the great inner turmoil that Jesus was in in this moment in the garden and everything that he's weighing out emotionally and everything that he knows that he's about to walk into. And yet here in this moment, he still takes this moment to teach Peter a lesson, to disciple Peter. And even in this moment, he's saying, Peter, here's God's plan. This is what's supposed to happen. And so even in the deepest, darkest moment of his life, as he's walking through the brook Kidron, Jesus is always teaching and discipling those who are his. And this is what he's doing right here with Peter. The other Gospels do tell us that Jesus even went and healed the man's ear. Put it back on for him. And, uh, and so 
Jesus is willingly walking into this is something that we can all see and understand. But after they arrest him, uh, in verse 12, so the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was a high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that the one man should die for the people. And so what we see here is, is John bringing back in something he's already told us before, but the, the high priest had prophesied that it was best that one man should die for the people. And this is what Jesus knew to be true as well. What was best was for the one man, for him, to die for all of us, to pay the price for us, to pay the punishment for our sins. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. That's why he willingly walked into his arrest, is because it was for that end, to die on that cross so that he could rise again three days later, paying the price for us for sin and death. And so this is what we see in Jesus. This is what we see that he has done for us. And so I want to take a moment now and let's take what we've just learned about what Jesus has done. And let's say, okay, what if we try to follow his example? And take that a step further since it's Mother's Day. As mothers, what if we try to follow his example? What would we see that Jesus has done, and how do we follow that example in our lives? I do not know a job or a calling that is prone to more willingly walking through darkness and gloom than motherhood. Some of the seasoned mothers in the room are like, yeah, been there been through the Brook Kidron with my kids. Still walking in the Brook Kidron with my kids. I feel like the Brook Kidron is drowning all of us right now. But mothers, be encouraged that to follow Jesus means that sometimes you walk through those times. Sometimes you walk through those seasons. And in the same way that Jesus loved us, same way that he loved you, he willingly did that. And be encouraged that that, too, is what your love can do for your kids as you walk through those times with them. Next, Jesus protected those who are his. He protected his disciples. I don't know anybody who's more protective than a mama. Motherhood is probably the best example we could give the best illustration there is for protecting someone else. And so, mothers, be encouraged. Follow Jesus' example and protect your kids. Watch out for them. Make sure they're safe. Do, do it in the way that only you can. Next, Jesus is always teaching and discipling those who are his. Moms, this is... This is where you shine. Finding those moments and seeing those opportunities in everyday life to speak the truth of Jesus, the truth of Scripture into your kids' lives. Seeing those opportunities around the dinner table, seeing those opportunities um, around the house, seeing those opportunities as you drive them to the umpteenth million thing that you're taking them to. 
Seeing those opportunities even with your grown children to be able to speak the truth of Scripture into their life and speak the truth of Jesus into their life. Looking for those ways and looking for those things to always be teaching, always be discipling, always be pointing to Jesus. And then finally, Jesus died for us. And as mothers, hopefully you don't have to die for your kids literally. But I know that you do die for your kids figuratively all the time. You put aside your wishes, you put aside your desires, you put aside your, wife, your life, uh, you put aside your aspirations, your goals to make your kids' lives better, to build them up, to put them first. And so good job, moms. Good job. Keep it up. And I'm going to tell you there's, um, with all this that I just said, yes, we're to follow Jesus' example. But I want to tell you there's a, kind of a new teaching that's out there in Christianity that I've, I've come across lately. Um, and it's called the Jesus is Perfect Theology. And it, it starts off well. It starts off with truth from Scripture and then kind of takes a turn for the worse. Okay? Um, which is where most heresies are. They start off well and then they take a turn for the worse. But in this teaching, um, what it teaches is that Jesus was fully God, fully man. Starts off well, all right? Um, but then they go on to say in his life on earth, everything that he did, he only did as man. That he never accessed the fully God part while he was on earth. So then they take that, and from there they say, so therefore, everything that Jesus did on earth, we too can do if we are a good enough Christian, if we live enough like him. We can get to that point of where he was. Um, and I just want to challenge those who are, and, and to, to the credit of those who are teaching this, they are honest, even though they have like, ministries where people who believe this are listening to police scanners to hear when there might be someone who has just died and they try to beat the ambulance there so they can try to raise the person from the dead. They admit that they have not successfully done that yet. Um, so they have, they've not brought anybody back from the dead yet. Um, they admit that they have not been able to walk on water yet. Uh, but I want, I want to challenge them that I don't think any of us can walk into a full military situation and say the words, I am, and knock down the enemy. If anybody's thinking, hey, I, I, I can be as Jesus was, and so I'm going to go over to the middle of the Ukraine right now, stand in the middle of a bomb, bombs dropping, and just scream out, I am, and it'll stop them, right? Like, it'll knock them down. I don't advise that. I don't think that's going to work out well for you. Yes, we serve a God of miracles and he can do whatever he wants. But there is something totally different between you and me and Jesus. And that's the fact that he never sinned and we have. And the fact that we are only good by his grace. The fact that he has cleansed us. The fact that he has taken away all of our sin, all of our suffering, all of our pain, and he nailed it to that cross and dealt with it for eternity. That's the difference. 
And so moms, as, as we make these connections between mothers and what Jesus did even in his arrest, know this, your ultimate goal is to point your kids to him, not to you. Dads, your ultimate goal is to point your kids to him, not to you. And so we want to see them have the hope that we have in him because he is the one where hope is found. He is the one where salvation is found. He is the one who does have the power to simply say his name and knock down tons of troops. When he comes back, he is going to go in war mode and all he needs is the sword of his tongue coming out of his mouth and he wins the battle. And so that is our Jesus, that is our King, that is the great I am, and that is who we worship, that is who we praise, and that is the one who laid down his life for us. And so mothers, let's do everything in our power to make sure we're pointing our kids to him. Let's pray. Jesus, we do thank you that you are the great I am. We thank you that you willingly walked into your arrest. You willingly walked into your crucifixion. All because you knew that you were going to rise from the dead. You're going to defeat sin and death. And you're going to do that for us. And I thank you so much for that, Jesus. You are good. You are the great I am. And there is none like you. Thank you for all that you do for us. In Christ's name. Thank you.